0: I'm Mike Brilla, host of the Inspired Teacher Podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually
1: owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hey, Welcome back, Steve here, and today I'm talking with Anthony Cook, the coordinator of college and career counseling at Osceola County School District in Florida, and Richard Owens, the managing director of programs at Tarrant To and Through Partnership, or known as T3, and we're talking about making the college prep process more equitable. So much to learn today. You are going to love this conversation. Thanks for listening. And by the way, before you go, it'd be so cool if you went to my website, stephenmoletto.com slash reviews and left a review. Could you do that for me? That would be so cool. And then, and by the way, before you uh, uh, stop listening to me, could you also could you also uh, share the podcast with a friend, a family member, you know, a, a colleague? Yo, know, that would be so cool. Say, hey, have you listened to Teaching Learning Leading K-12? Hmm, you should. <laughs> and here's the link. That would be so cool. Thanks so much for listening. Enjoy the show.
0: It's the education podcast your favorite show with lots of groovy guests and they share what they know. So crank it up to 10 and let your neighbors know. That yeah, here's another show with Dr. Steve Millett-O. Teaching, learning, leading. K-12. Teaching, learning, leading. K-12, teaching, learning, leading, K-12, ah, ah, with Dot Steve Malento.
1: Today I'm talking with Anthony Cook and Richard Owens. Anthony is currently the coordinator of college and career counseling at Osceola County School District in Kissimmee, Florida. The National College Attainment Network, NCAN, recently named Cook one of 15 college and career readiness fellows across the United States and the sole fellow from Florida. Cook earned a Master of Science, M.S., focused in marriage and family therapy counseling from Stetson University. Richard Owens, the Managing Director of Programs at Tarrant Two and Through Partnership, T3 Partnership, began his career in the classroom teaching fifth grade math and science and later joined Teach for America in a variety of roles. As a senior managing director for Teach for America, he built a community of more than 600 equity-driven core members and alumni. With a focus on the power of diversity, Richard increased team composition from 25 to 45 percent people of color with varied backgrounds and experiences. He also designed and led staff learning experiences focused on the integration of personal values, cultivated relationships with key stakeholders, and fostered an organizational culture that contributed to a 20% increase in teacher satisfaction. Most recently, Richard served as a district support consultant at the Holdsworth Center in this role, he supported two North Texas districts in assessing and revamping their district-wide talent development systems and practices. Richard earned his bachelor's degree in political science from the University of Georgia. He is a graduate of the Cobb County School System, also in uh, Marietta, Georgia, and uh, very cool. Here we have a couple connections, which is nice. But uh, so I got I got connections with uh, Richard and with Anthony, which is really cool. So we got some good stuff going on here. We got. uh, So our focus is, how can we make the college prep process equitable? With the average school counselor ratio in public high schools, 400 students to one counselor, it is difficult for school counselors to devote attention to each student and their needs. Therefore, many families spend thousands of dollars hiring outside college prep counselors to assist their children. And uh, what about the families that can't afford outside college prep? How can we create equity in the college application process? So we're going to talk about all this and maybe a little bit more. Um, Welcome, Richard and Anthony. Thanks for joining my program and say hi to everyone. Thank you for having us on.
0: Pumped to be here. Really excited for the conversation.
1: Well, I'm glad you both are here. And uh, before we get into our topic, uh, um, let's talk about you both. Um, so, Anthony, I can't let this slide by. I mean, in your bio, I read that you were the National College Attainment Network (NCAN) recently named. Um, you one of 15 college and career readiness fellows across the United States and the sole fellow from Florida. Okay. Now that's cool. <laughs> Can
2: you tell us a little about this recognition?
1: What's
2: <laughs> yeah, that all about? It's uh, it, it was bur- It's interesting, right? Cause Richard your, your program is called two and through. In has a two and through program as well. This is like their next step um, above that. It's just uh, recognizing, uh, college and career counselors, people that are working in the CCLR world that are uh, making an impact in their communities and such. Um, and the idea is to be able to hone in on their leadership skills, help them uh, really uh, identify a, an area where improvement needs to be made and build that out over the year. In addition to that, it's build a capacity, teaching us how to be better leaders so that we can in turn take that back to our, our districts or our counties and and spread that, that capacity. So that way other people can do the work that we're doing at the same level that we're doing that work at. Very cool, very cool.
1: The uh, and, and so uh, Richard, let's talk about you. Um, You know, you're a, uh, in your bio, I read that you're the managing director of programs at Tarrant Two and through partnership, the T3 partnership. Could you tell us about this? What do you do?
0: Yeah, sure. So the Tarrant Two and through partnership is named after Tarrant County, which is where Fort Worth is, where the 13th, uh, depends on the day and who you talk to, we're the 12th or 13th largest city in the country. Um, And the Tarrant Two and through partnership, also known as colloquially as T3, we are an organization that really thinks about and wants to ensure that more Tarrant County students are attaining post-secondary credentials and are, have the skills that they need to thrive in today's workforce. So the way that we really approach that is building partnerships and making connections from school districts to institutions of higher ed, to businesses, development, and corporations. And so in my role, Uh, our organization has four distinct pillars. The first one is family engagement, um, where we're focused on building the understanding of middle school families, of high school pathways, high wage, high demand careers. We have our post-secondary pathways work, which is very focused on nine through 12 and getting students enrolled in a post-secondary credential that is right for them. We have our college and career work, which is about persistence and completion. Um, And finally, we have our mentorship and workforce development, which is about getting students connected to to mentors to build the networks and the skills that they need to ultimately be successful. Um, so we're a fairly new organization been in existence about two and a half years. I think at this point, maybe a little longer all blurs together. We started in the middle of the pandemic. Um, and so it's been a really fun ride. Excited to be here.
1: Very cool. Well, I'm glad to have you both here. Thanks for, uh, talking with me and uh, let's, let's get into this now. So, uh, uh, I got to tell you a story. I'm going to, I'm just a storyteller, man. And I got to go backwards in time here because, you know, I'm going to, when I was in high school and yeah, there was electricity then. So, I mean, we're, uh, we got to go back a ways, but at the same time, it feels just like yesterday, man. And I was at uh, this high school that had 2,400 kids um, and only had 10 through 12 graders. All right. So ninth grade was at the junior high and you know, in my graduating class, there were 578 kids. So, if you think about that number alone for the one counselor who handled the seniors, I'll never forget him because I made appointments to go see him to talk about what I wanted to go to because I was doing a unique sort of thing, trying to to get into a a military academy is what I was focused on. And uh, in in the end, I I didn't make the final cut. I made the I made it. I got nominated and got so far in the process and and didn't make it any further. So I had to have a backup plan and I chose these, these things called um, educational uh, they're called ECP programs, which is early commission programs. And I didn't even know they existed. But the point is, is that I kind of had to steer my own way because he was so busy with all those, those kids doing whatever they did in, in those years. (laughs) And uh, you know, that in itself was, you know, there was only one counselor per level. And so, you know, I can tell you that I really didn't know. I only knew my senior one because I made time and went to see them. All right. And when they mandi- you know, called you for a mandatory meeting, you know, you didn't really know them and they didn't know you. And the only reason why I knew me was because I kept bugging them because in those days there's no internet and I was borrowing the giant books about colleges. <laughs> all right. And it was one of those things I'd, I'd borrow them and he'd say, now make sure you bring it back after the weekend. I said, no problem. You know? <laughs> um, but the, the point is, is that, uh, You know, I really had to make my own appointments, had to do all that stuff. In the modern era, you know, I'm a former high school principal, and it can be just as bad as well as the counselors often have other jobs and duties to take care of, like testing. Sometimes they're the testing coordinator um, or facilitators or whatever. Um, So what challenges does the size of the class cause the counselor when it comes to college and career discussions today?
2: Who wants to go? Um. I think this is contingent upon the way a school or a district is set up, um, and we can get we'll get into more of this later on probably. But for example, like in Osceola County, we have allocated funds to keep our student uh, uh, counselor ratio a little bit tighter than what most districts experience. Each of our high school has a designated college and career counselor to avoid the very thing that you experience. That was also my experience as well, which is how I kind of stumbled into what I'm doing right now. Um, And all of us have a, uh, well, I have four transition coaches that help specifically with our students who are trying to go to one of our state colleges. So that's the structure that I have. I know that we're very lucky and fortunate to have that structure. It makes the work less stressful. It's still crazy. There's still a lot of kids that you got to get through depending on the size of of the senior class. but at least we have two definitive people that can help specifically uh, specifically with that. But I do know of districts and schools where they have nobody or it's one person that's trying to to manage all of that. And that process, as you well know, it is can be very challenging can take a long time and there are multiple pieces that are a part of that. So we're fortunate to have what we have, the structure that we have, Richard, what's, what's y'all set up down there? What's that like for y'all?
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, I think all of the things that i heard y'all name just in terms of, in terms of, um, ratios and all of that, that is, it's a super challenging thing. Um, there are, things in the state of Texas. I don't know if I don't know what they call it. Floor. I used to teach in Florida. I'm sure things have changed. We have indicators of uh, what are called college and career readiness, um, and they are indicators that students are supposed to meet on their pathway to whatever it is that they want to do after high school. Um, and you know, our our counselors, our schools are doing everything they can in order to get those students what we call here is CCMR met, and very often. Kind of given the volume and given the time the conversation around a student being ccmr met is is the end point versus the next point or an evolution of where the student wants to go and so there is some really interesting work across um or some really interesting work across the state think about building very clear competencies for um so the texas Higher education coordinating board um along with some local foundations and nonprofits are looking to build an overall set of core competencies that anyone, whether it's a counselor, an outside support entity or nonprofit like us or another partner organization, you could pull that up and say, as I'm interacting with a student, what is a good practice? So that the ability to kind of counsel and navigate with a student isn't just about getting to meet an indicator, but about them understanding the way that that indicator can set them up for success for whatever it is they want to do after high school. Um, so it's, it's a, you gotta, I think, to the point with where ratios are challenging, really understanding what are the highest leverage, highest impact ways to interact with a student where I get the most use for the squeeze whenever I do have time. Um, and then I think the second thing, I don't know how y'all are doing this in, in Florida, but there's a lot of really good work that kind of along around the state level of all of the inflow of ESSER funds, uh, which is, you know, the federal stimulus dollars from coming out of COVID is using a period of time over the course of the next couple of years to try really new things and understand what sticks and what works, um, whether that is technology to enable counseling, whether that's positions to enable counseling or programs to enable counseling.
1: Very, very cool. So, you know, one of the things that uh, um, I, I got to ask here is that, you know, Yes, you know, something that's become apparent over the years is that the college admissions process can be a roadblock if the student does not have access to test prep courses. Um, you're, you're talking to somebody here who um, I, I hate to tell you, but I, I took that SAT a couple of different times, and uh, um, and that's that's being nice. <laughs> um, and then somebody said, you know, stop taking that. You need to take the ACT, and I did so much better on that. And matter of fact, boom! All of a sudden, I got recognized by a whole bunch of people, but, uh, I didn't take a te- test prep course. I didn't know anything about it. I mean, no one had ever talked to me about that. And in the modern era, that's one of the things that as a principal, uh, we made sure that we were telling kids and bringing these companies in and all that sort of stuff. And it it was cool. Um, the, you know, what they could do for them in, in understanding how to approach these tests, the, uh, um, you know, can you talk about the costs associated with learning to perform better on the test? Cause it's not cheap. <laughs>
0: sure. Sure. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, and I will just, yeah. I think, I think there are just, I appreciate you saying that. I, and I think there are some things for me that are, um, I mean, worth naming where I'm from, my background, my parents had the opportunity to, you know, I went through an SAT prep course that was privately paid for, and I was privileged and fortunate to be able to have those experiences. I think um, in terms of some of the ESSER funds and some of the things that I'm talking about, The districts that we are working with are figuring out really strategically how to make test prep available across the board to all students and working with organizations like us in the schools uh, and some of their partner organizations to build a wide awareness that this test prep material in a very focused and targeted way is uh, going to kind of give you the opportunity to get get the score that you want. Um so I think I think that's been a really big one is how do we weave those test prep test prep practices into counseling support of students um and make them readily available given kind of the influx of 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 dollars Um I think a second thing that I we we might get to uh, I don't know I'll just bring it up now is uh what being able to sit down with a student and actually be able to plan what it is they want to do after High school, and say okay, like let's leverage some tools. Um, one of the ones that we use in T uh, three and four with ISD is Zello, which is an online post secondary planning platform. Which is, I mean, it's really fantastic, and they students actually have the ability to understand their strengths, their backgrounds, and then multiple pathways in order to get to where they want to go. And if sometimes, and I am a big advocate of four year degrees, and that's not always the path that it's, need, it's needed for students uh, to kind of reach their aspirations and dreams. And so I think one of the things around test prep is both making sure that it's available and students are aware of it and they know how to navigate the test and that we bust the binary that it is either a four-year degree or bust. Um, and I think there are specific tools and counseling that we, can use, that we can use to do that.
1: Very cool, very cool. I appreciate you. Talking about that because I know uh, you know it's <clears throat> there's some organizations that those those test prep course, I mean, you can you can go as far as you know providing it. It's in a big auditorium, or it, it can be one on one, or it can you know be in a in a small little company that you know that's their thing that they do, and just it just appears in so many different ways. And I've seen what it does. I mean, it, you know, just as a note, uh, I'm I took the GRE one way when I was working on my specialist program to get into that program. I took it paper and pencil right (laughs) and when I was ready to get into my doctorate there's only a like a two years difference right there well that's when they ETS switched to the um, computer stuff and um, and it was interesting because uh, you know my doctorate uh, people said you know we'd like to see you you're good right now but we'd like to see you increase this score a little bit here and by the way as a note the worst questions for me to have to answer the ones that deal with if john can sit next to steve but steve can't sit next to to philip you know and all i want to say is just make them sit wherever you want to make them sit all right i don't (laughs) but uh, i i forget what i'm doing but that's the section that i had to you know increase my scores on and i'm like how do you go about doing that well what was cool was the the computer stuff actually gave you suggestions when you worked on stuff it would tell you why you missed what you missed, and how to go about approaching these problems, and oh my gosh, I looked, I, I improved my scores tremendously just because I used that computer stuff. Now, um, unfortunately, the uh, the test on the day. De- now, the good thing is I did very really well, got accepted, went on, got my doctorate at Georgia. All right. The funny thing is though, where they did the test, um, it was in a little building that shared a wall with a waffle house, and there's nothing better than taking. <laughs> a standardized time test and, and someone nearby is cooking bacon. All right. <laughs> you hear, yeah. you hear everybody going, Oh my gosh. <laughs> so anyway, I know about those stories, <laughs> but uh, cause by the way, the environment can challenge you also uh, in taking that exam, uh, those exams, but the uh, you know, it there's, you know, cost is one of those types of inequities. Are, are there other things that cause, these inequities in, in college admissions. What do you, what do you think?
2: Yeah. And going back to the cost too, Stephen, here's another layer to this though. It's shifting the paradigm that is just test prep specifically, but looking, looking at it from like more of a, of a higher view, right? We know that the research says the earlier students take the assessments, typically the better they do when they, take it again. So like our district, we use the free prep with Khan Academy and College Board because our research within district is showing that that's been effective for us. So while the test prep isn't costing us anything, we've reallocated some of those funds that Richard had mentioned where we're having our eighth grade students take a PSAT. Then they're linking their College Board and Khan Academy accounts so that they can get that free test material. Then they're taking another free one, ninth grade and 10th grade. And then they're taking the PSAT NMSQT at the end of 10th grade, beginning of 11th grade. Then, then we have an in-school test day for SAT at the end of their junior year and an ACT. And we have a free in-school SAT ACT in the fall of their senior year. So we've taken the money and said, hey, listen, exposure to this has proven to be effective. In the in between, we're going to use our free platform to get them the test prep and work with our local state college who comes in and does some specific boot camping with targeted students. So the funds could be used for a specific test prep, which can be all the way up to $4,000 or districts can decide to take that money and create some type of programming where that's a part of the the district culture. And how do you fill in those gaps of that test prep material for students? So that's one of the ways that I know our district and other districts have met that inequities. But when you're talking about other inequities, I mean, (laughs) it's really, uh, it's really access to our BIPOC population, right? So our uh, people of color, what that looks like, because we're, dealing with a a swath of variety within that, like, we have our foreign families that are coming over where their university system looks completely different than the American university system. They have misconceptions about what that looks like and what that takes. So it's being able to meet them where they are and, and dispel those myths and misconceptions. And we're talking about inequities, not in English, but in their native tongue to help make them feel more comfortable and to really communicate um, that information to, to those families. You have your families that College isn't on on their mind. It's survival, right? So it's figuring out how to make college, and to Richard's point, While we may be proponents for college, that might not be the best fit. So like I know here in the school district of Osceola County, we talk about the four E's. It's enrollment to a college. It's enlistment to the military. It's seeking employment, but high wage paying jobs and it's taking an intentional gap year that we refer to as expiration. So it's getting that information to those families like, listen, it don't have to be the four year, but it's got to be something because, you're in survival, you're in the cycle. We have to break that somehow, some way. It can be done by your students entering into one of these uh, four E's and making that important for them to be able to um, understand and to grasp. And then the other part of this is it's making uh college and career life readiness important to the entire community. It can't be on just the counselor's shoulders. It can't be just on the college and careers counselor's shoulder. It can't just be on an organization that Richard has. That is a community thing. Like it truly is. It takes a village to raise our children. So it starts in the home. It starts all the way down with early learning, VPK two, three, and four. It starts in our primary grades up to our intermediate grades. Richard, a uh, fun connection. I started teaching in fifth grade and then moved down to third grade. That's how nice. I actually got into education, right? So it's like from cradle to grade that we're having these intentional conversations and making it fit the population that we're trying to, to meet because they're looking at it differently than people that that are on, that are in higher ed or that college is their life. Like that might not be the case for them. So we have to figure out how to meet our clients, where they are. And I think that's some of the inequities because it is kind of a, uh, one size fits all type of messaging. And that's just not what we've been finding when we're, you know, boots on the ground. That's, that's just not the case.
0: And I, I mean, I w- just to respond to that one, I like the thing that you just said is it doesn't have to be this, but it has to be something is i think a like while you said it very simply is actually a huge monumental shift for a lot of people that uh the the again many of the families that we work with are familiar with like the idea of scarcity all they are trying to do is make the best ne- the next best decision for themselves um and it takes a lot of patience and a lot of care to sit alongside them and ask them to think as far forward as what we might be asking them to do. Um, and so that, that, and it takes time to be able to do that. So I just, I want to appreciate that. And then I think go back to a, a couple of things in terms of equity. And I also want to recognize that like not every family has access to internet and not every family has quality broadband, but I think technology can be one of the solutions here around how this, I mean, you, Steve, even mentioned like once you started engaging with technology, your test scores got better. Anthony's mentioned how they've taken uh, some money to like put PSATs in front of everything and then used open source information that's free to be able to support students. And so I think technology can be a really big tool in how we build equity here. Um, And I think some, in some of the processes it's actually like really small things that make a big difference. So I want to tell just a quick story to help everybody understand how, if, if you haven't heard what, what this could mean is I was, at a, I was at a college fair. At T3, we have data sharing agreements with our partner districts and the institutions of higher ed, and we're able to understand where students are at in the college admission and completions pro- or enrollment process. And I was interacting with a student and she wanted to go to community college. she said, "I've applied and I've completed my financial aid like it's, it's good. So through some of the information that we're able to gather, I, I pulled up and it actually we were able to understand that she had not completely fulfilled all of the things that she needed to do to enroll. And we worked with her, her counselor, high school and the institution of higher ed. And there were some numbers that she, it was either like her social security number or student ID is number something that were mismatched on her financial aid application and her college application. And so here we are, there's a student who has done everything that she has been asked to do thinks that she's gonna to go to TCC and the Tarrant County College likely tuition free. And because she typed in a number, that's not actually gonna be the case. And there's a lot going on in which she's trying to figure out stuff, the institutions trying to figure out stuff. And when we have and build systems across the board that have the potential to talk to each other that way, we can serve in case students better on an individual level. So I just, again, I I think technology is a big one. I think also partnerships is is a really big thing that can help build and uh, kind of solve the inequitable process of things.
1: Excellent. Thanks for talking about that. That's, uh, you know, it is uh, something that, and I got to tell you, you know, when you talk about the partnerships and you talk about the different stuff and Anthony, you know, the creativeness, it really shining through there with the the different ways the money can be used um, to, uh, as opposed to just, flat-out paying for, you know, one program or something, instead finding the different things that work best. I mean, I, I think that's awesome. I, if you were going to – if you guys were going to uh, give advice uh, about how colleges could help, you know, overcome these inequities, what, what would be something that you would say? I mean, what would be something that – because we kind of talked about it. But if you, you said, hey, you guys, we need you to – you know, Osceola, you're down there there's Central Florida a little ways, you know – you got it. Got a bunch of colleges around you. What what advice would you be? What, what's something you'd, you'd say to them?
2: Rich is gonna go first, but I'm gonna say this because when I was reading this question, I was like, "Oh, this is easy. Make college free." <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> that's the easiest. That's the easiest answer for me to get rid of all of the inequities. We'll just get kids in at least the first two years, and then we'll go from there. So I'm gonna I'm gonna sit back. Rich is gonna yeah, take sure. it, and then I'll tag back in. Thanks.
0: Thanks for that. Appreciate it. Um, I, I would say, I, I don't actually necessarily disagree with you. Uh, so one of the things that our, um, our college and career team and the kind of founding part of our organization has done, which we are very proud of and also very thankful for, is worked for students that we, we work with um, to have access to two- and four-year institutions that are local in which they can go tuition free based on their income level. So as you know, they have to, they do have to complete financial aid, which is a big step for many of them. Um, and what we really hope is that that, that commitment and that promise or that, that partnership that we are building with them and the narrative that you can go to college tuition free, it's not fully free college, but tuition free builds the understanding and the clarity that college is financially feasible for me and that they begin to want to do some of the other things that can be harder in the smaller steps along the way. The institutions that we work with to do this, they are actually the ones that are providing the institutional aid as long as like after state and federal dollars. And we're very thankful for that. So Anthony, in some ways we are working, we are, we are working and there are people slowly over time to, to build on narrative and we're trying to do it in an, in an equitable way. It is not, it is totally income based, based off of, uh, you know, again, what they, what they put or what they've, is found on their financial aid. I think the second thing that, that they can do is just like make the application, financial aid and enrollment process way easier. So, so I don't know, again, it's, it's a fairly new concept. It's from the education advisory board. There's this thing that's been piloted in Chicago called Greenlight match. And it is literally where a student builds a profile and sends that and then includes all of the things that they would need to and sends that profile to a series of colleges on a consistent basis. And those colleges review and say, we will let you in. Here's your financial aid package. Do you want to come? And if the student clicks yes, like, I may, I'm probably oversimplifying this, but the answer is like, they're in, that's it. And we need more processes like that, one, because it's such a hard process to understand and two, from an, an equitable standpoint, many of the students that are not going are either don't have the time or the money to do this less, you know, even more like the ability to have someone to help them navigate through it. And so. Again, I think it's it's situations like that where we can, and institutions themselves, should streamline sort of the application financial process.
1: Just as a... I'm no, oh, I'm go- oh, go ahead, Steve. No, go ahead, go Anthony.
2: Ahead. I'm fine. Oh, I completely agree. and I think that goes down to what Richard said towards the last question. It's about partnerships, right? Long gone are the days where your name carries enough where all of these kids in your area are going to show up and go to college. Like, that's how it was for us. It was like, it, that was it. That was the only choice. Here are your schools. You're going come hella high water. Right. But now we're in a, a space where you have to meet people where they are. So we have we need colleges to one to Rich's point. Just make it easy. Like, why is it so difficult? We have to hire somebody to help fix issues that can be fixed if you just. Upgraded your technology or upgraded your processes like we have people trying to catch errors and then they're the liaison between the student and the university or the college To to get that done so that a kid can actually show up on campus and get their financial aid and go to class like that makes absolutely no sense to me That's one two. We have these universities that are sitting there and not coming out to the community. Like we need them to t- take the dollars and put it back into the community or to uh, offer opportunities for kids to get on campus. Like to, Richard said this earlier, many kids ain't never been on a campus before. They don't know what that's they're not even thinking of it. Like they don't even know. We had a student last year. It was his first time ever on a campus. It was our state college. When he got on that college, he was like, I can do this. Like this is, this is for me. And that was All it took—that was the spark for him to be able to be like, okay, yeah, let's figure this out, whatever that looks like, right? So, I think it—I echo what Richard said. It has to be easier, and we need universities to put their money where their mouth is. They gotta meet our community where they are. And Richard, you you said this. I said this jokingly, but it has happened. So, our, our county and our state college actually partnered up this past year. they're doing, they did a last dollar in initiative as well. But They're paying the first two years for kids to go of our graduating classroom last year. They can all go and they can get their AA. They can pursue their AS. They can go into accelerated skills training. They did that. They put their money where their mouth is. Now, will that happen moving forward? We're going to find out, but yep. that increased our post-secondary matriculation rates exponentially. So we need more universities to start thinking strategically and creatively like that.
1: That's, that's pretty cool. It's, uh, and you know, it's just, uh, you got me thinking about a whole bunch of stuff here because when you, uh, um think in terms of things like that, like I, I can tell you, one of the things that used to drive me nuts, I'd talk to kids and say, so, uh, what you got plans, uh, what you're looking at doing after high school and stuff you're talking to them when they're like a, a, a sophomore in high school and, uh, freshmen still aren't some of them aren't thinking <laughs> anything like that, but, uh, you yeah, know, you start talking to them about it and, and asking them questions and, uh, um, well, it's funny when you come back to them then a little while later, um, when they've actually started the process and some of the kids will tell you, well, you know, if they required an essay, I skipped that one, you know, <laughs> and I, you know, when you talk about making it easier or, or making it, you know, a little more you know, understandable about why you ask what you ask or something like this, I think, cause there's a, there's a talent, to, I mean, there are people who you pay to help you understand how to answer essay questions, and uh, I mean, because there's a way of doing that where you get people's attention, as opposed to, you know, some people think I'm good at writing, I'll just write this thing. Well, yeah, did that do what you wanted it to? Probably not. So, <laughs> you know, um, so this this is uh, this is a good conversation here. Which so let's let's do the same thing and talk about um, school districts. How can school districts help? And what's that piece of advice you'd give to school districts about
2: overcoming the inequities? That's easy. Put your money where your mouth is. Put your money where your mouth is so here's here's been here's been my saying to my district leadership and then when i start getting into schools i told when i got hired i told my superintendent i said listen i'm letting you know i'm infiltrating every single department across the district and cclr conversations will be had i'm just letting you know right now i'm blowing everything up so i've been saying to people like listen I can tell that you don't understand it the way that I do. So I'm going to speak your language. We believe reading is essential for life, right? Yes, that's that's a no brainer. I said, would we ever wait till 12th grade to teach students how to read? The obvious answer is no. Right. We teach them as soon as they're in the womb, we're reading to them. Right. So I say to them, but yet we're going to take one year and have intentional conversations around college and career life readiness with the student to prepare them for the latter two thirds of their life makes no sense to me. We have to treat it just like we would reading because that is an essential life skill when they leave our K-12 system. So we need to have those conversations as it relates to college and career life readiness. We need to have those conversations as it relates to emotional maturity, the same way that we would value having academic conversations and teaching that intentionally. So our district, put their money where their mouth is. We have our Zello platform. That's K-12. We have a designated college and career counselor at all of our high schools. Our counselor student ratios are second tier in ASCA's national model. So we're almost right where we need to be. Um, We have a scope and sequence that stretches from kindergarten through 12th grade. So all of our students are doing lessons and it's on our district strategic plan. So it's not going anywhere, right? Districts have to prioritize it the same way they will other Things, or else, it's going to fall on one or two people's shoulders, and there's no way you're going to change a culture or a community by doing that.
0: So I would not going to add a whole lot to that because yes, and I would just I would just highlight a couple more things around sort of money money where the mouth is. So um, I, I would say one districts can um, invest heavily in things like, if you're familiar with p programs, early college programs, career and technical education programs. And the reason that I say that is because those programs really serve dual purposes. One of them is they get all students, presumably students who graduate from those programs, have uh, some sort of post-secondary credential, whether it's a certification or an associate's degree. Two things can happen. One, the students are either very highly employable whenever they get done, or two, they are leveraging it as a launching point into uh, college. So a student who's graduated from an early college program that has an associate's degree, they might say, yep, I want to go straight to work. Or they're like, I've already got 60 hours and I understand what college is, and so I'm more invested in what we're doing. I think they can make heavy investments in those things. And I think the second thing that I think they, that districts can do is build good longitudinal data practices. so what I mean by that is taking if you're familiar with the National Student Clearinghouse it, it's a set of data uh, that that folks can work with they're gathering the data in their in their own districts and say what are the set of experiences that students have in our district that lead to good post-secondary enrollment and actually post-secondary persistence in graduation because what I what I don't want and just personally is, selling it like a pipe dream to a student where it's you get into college and it's like, okay, now you're on. So we're actually able to say like, Hey, if you're a student who graduated from this high school, this GPA from this district, the place that you are most likely to be successful is one of these colleges. And we know that because we have been gathering and analyzing longitudinal data from our students over a real period of time. Um, And that, that really, you have to cut that data by, Race, ethnicity, uh, sex, and gender—all all, all those things—to make sure that we're not just lumping a student and say, like, well, a student that graduates from, you know, Osceola is should is should go to this school or this school has this graduation rate that it's very tailored to the individual kind of student and, and district context.
1: This is all ex- excellent information. It's good, good stuff to, v- to be talking about because, you know, a lot of times I think I think conversations like this get kind of they don't get had they don't, you know no one's saying you know <laughs> holding them to the fire about putting their money where their mouth is or, or talking about the different pathways we can have and it's important for people to, to remind about that because it's you know the the process is can be so difficult and it also you know when you look at what it um what's required as well as it also can be a daunting experience when you don't know and you don't have family who have an experience of what to think about the process i mean it's funny i i there um i have known families that uh, you know, start talking about their kids going to Florida state from, you know, the day they were born Man, they bought them, you know, they bought them diapers and all kinds of things that had the Florida state emblems all over them. And then I've also known families that, uh, you know, they didn't even think about any of that type of stuff until, you know, you, uh, got down the, down the road and then someone might talk about it. You know, I, I was in a school where we had to get uh, violence under control. And after that's, I went there to, I was a principal who went places to change things. Right. And they, uh, And this one school, we had to get the violence under control. And, you know, one of the things I was tasked with is to try and improve the academic, you know, culture of the school. And, you know, it's interesting when you start hearing kids, when in the beginning they're not talking about testing. And then in three years down the road, they start saying things, so how'd you do, man? How'd you do? You know, or have you heard back or have you? And, you know, that's an important thing that takes, uh, you know, you got to have a focus as an adult on understanding why that needs to change. And those conversations need to be had. And and especially because parents need to understand that. So this is this is awesome. I you know one of the things that's happened and while we're talking about this, it's happened across the nation, is uh, we have this weird. Uh, it's becoming it's become worse because of other things, but uh, we have this shortage of uh, of teachers and school um, professionals, and uh, it, just as much as in the counseling field. Um, how how are they coping with the the shortages in the in the counseling area? What, I mean, what is, what do you see happening there, and what do you think something that might uh, imp, you know put that to bed and get us on our way to help the kids?
2: Okay, somebody has to talk to me.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> I got you. Um, so there is a a very real problem, right? We are all of us. Are, especially in education, are dealing with the grand resignation period, right? Like, that's that's happening. That's a real thing. Um And I think this is one of the results of the pandemic, and nobody planned for it. <laughs> it's, there's no way that anybody was really prepared to do that. Now, the writing was on the wall. There are things that could have been addressed. But as it has been, we are a profession that is typically undervalued, and we're paid and treated as such, right? So now you've got this uproar of people that are like, I'm not taking that no more. So I don't know how we fix that outside of maybe Richard and I running for some official government position and reallocating money to make sure that our educators are squared away. But I do think long-term, I think this goes back to what I keep saying. Universities, they need to put their money where their mouth is. They have school counseling uh, programs. They have educational programs. I think that there is something to be said about creating a natural pipeline between districts and their local universities that funnel them right back into the district. We have a program like that called the Future Teachers Academy where students will go through our state college they direct connect to our university and then they are guaranteed a job right in our district where they can give back to the community, have that job secured. We just graduated our first class. We started the program four years ago. We have nine people, uh, nine teachers that are out of that program that are now back in our classrooms, right? We have a, um, we have a, a principal, I believe he won principal of the year in my neighboring district, Polk County. He's been doing the same thing, not just teaching. Uh, this was for elementary, our program, but he's been doing it for their elective programs or CTE programs, other higher uh, uh, secondary programs where he's targeting them as high schoolers. And he's saying, listen, you got a skill for this. We want to invest in this. You go get your program, we're gonna help pay, you go get your degree, we'll help pay for that, and I'm gonna offer you a job once you finish that, that degree and come back. So I think long term, we need to be more strategic about that. In the interim, it's tough, Stephen. I mean, I know that we've done some uh, fairs outside of the state. We've done fairs uh, where we're reaching outside of the country to bring people in. I know Florida's done this initiative where they're allowing vet, vet military vets to come in um, and teach certain subjects and things like that. So there's some creative things going on, but I think that's a band-aid for our larger issue. And that's putting the emphasis and the value back onto education and treating our educators as such.
1: I got you there. That's, uh, you know, that's one of the things when you, when you have <laughs> over 40, 50 years, you're bad mouth something and you one And then you all, all of a sudden one day go, where'd everybody go? You know, it's like, well, that doesn't help. And then on top of that, you have something brand new that we not dealt with, which, you know, just, and then on top of that, you know, besides the, the virus, then the next thing you know is you have uh, people saying, nah, I'm going to try and sell on YouTube, man. You know, <laughs> or something like this. And it's like, wow. Okay. Um, what are we going to do now? And, uh, well, good. It's, it's, it's a conversation that has to be continued to be had because you're right. You got to, um, you know, just the, the way the, the role that we play, cause it's such a, I mean, we're literally the, the stuff that we, what you're doing, working with kids is helping them achieve their dreams, whatever those dreams are. And, and, uh, you need to have those people that are working with them and thinking about, it. cause some people, you know, some kids, they don't have, they've not really voiced anything or they they might have it, but they have just not had anybody help them or you know, pull it out of them and say, come on, talk, let's talk about what you're thinking about. And, you know, those,
2: those are important roles. And so we need people doing that. Steven, we're, we're saving lives. And I'm saying this because you're, this is a podcast and there's people out there that are listening to this. Right. So when I got that fellowship award, I'm only on social media for my job. I'm not, I have no personal platforms whatsoever. So I've been in my district. I've taught in this district for two decades now. So I got kids that are off doing stuff. I don't, I don't know what they're doing. I don't know where they're at, but my district shared that acceptance to the fellowship program and they're coming out in droves. I I, like, I ignored it. I just don't, I don't do well with that. I was like, I don't believe they put this out. But at the end of the day, I was like, let me check. When I went back and checked between the shares and what my district put out, there was over 300 comments, people that I I have taught in, in, in my community. Right. I had several instant messages. And there was one in particular it was a kid that reached out to me. He's like, cook, man, I've been trying to track you down for 10 years now. He said, I was in the worst place I ever been. And he said, you was the only educator that was a light in that dark place. And he said, you were on me. He said, you weren't easy on me. He said, you was giving me the business, but you were having real conversations with me. He said, and here I am, 10 years removed. And he was like, I'm married. I'm in the profession that I thought I was going to be in. And he was like, had it not been for you speaking into my life at that time, I don't know if I would be here today. And I'm not saying that like, oh, look at cook. I'm saying that because we're educators on this podcast, right? And I know that educators have stories like that that they can share over and over and over. So if we're literally saving lives and pouring into lives, why would you not appreciate the profession as such? I don't know. That's, that's just my two cents for anybody out there listening. That's what we do on a regular basis.
1: That's a good question right there. And that's a good thing for people to be pondering. So. I love it. Love it. Uh you know, um this is so powerful. Anyway, uh so uh, good stuff, good powerful stuff. I so I got to we we've left one piece of the puzzle out here. We've, we we got to mention parents. I mean, what can parents without the means to hire outside professional help to assist their children with college prep do to increase their child's chances of getting into their dream college?
0: Yeah, so that, that I is, think is funny to me. Um this is where I I think personally it is, you're, you're asking what they can do. Um, and I, I think it is incumbent upon uh, people and organizations like me and mine and, and Anthony as well to deeply understand the reality of many of the students that we are talking about, their families and flip that question to what are the institutions, organizations, and systems responsible for doing to support families who don't have time, capacity, or ability to do it for themselves. And so I don't want to say that it's fundamentally, the the, the parent can't take action and that the parent can't support, but we did a parent focus group on the south side of Fort Worth uh, last year. And the parent we were, we're, cause we were really trying to understand what, what types of programs and supports do we need to put in place for parents so that they understand what this is. And, and a parent looks at me and she says, you know, I, I know that I'm supposed to be setting goals with my daughter. I love my daughter.
2: I don't know how to set goals
0: with her. Uh, I know that there is something that I'm supposed to be doing. I don't know what it is. And if I know better, I can build better. And like, that has like been my tagline. And I'm happy to get into all of the ways that, that we can do that. But I just think that my first response is like, it's a fundamental shift of how do the institutions and people ask themselves, what is incumbent upon us to support families to be able to meet that outcome?
1: That's,
2: I appreciate it. That's powerful. Did Anthony, were you going to say something? I like that. I'm, I'm I'm writing down stuff right here. So just know, Richard, and when I do these presentation stuff, I'm shouting you out right there. Yeah. You, so when, when when you run for
0: political office, I'll come be your chief of staff or campaign manager, and and like help you understand what those <laughs> things. Are you could be the person that says that we get elected.
2: <laughs> nice, nice. So good. That's so good. There there are to your question. There are resources though, Stephen. Like um, it's it's interesting because like you talked about your experience with uh, trying to figure out what you wanted to do after high school, it was the same for me. And nobody in my family had been to high school. In fact, I actually come from a family where based on what was going on in my family, I shouldn't be here right now. The statistics for me are over 90% that I should be in prison, but somehow I skirted that whole thing. Right? So to me, there is some, wow. Yes. Their organizations have to do better there is this part where there's some responsibility on the parent and the student. So there are resources available, right? Like in can, I'm a part of their organization, which is our national college attainment network Well, Florida. I can only speak to Florida. We have like the highest percentage of local college uh, access networks in, in a state. So that means that there's resources that are free within our districts to help families figure out what that looks like. Just in in my local college access network, Uplift Ed, we do webinars. Um, My partnership with Broward, who's one of my partner um, districts, we do a virtual session every Wednesday night, 6 to 7 p.m. That's open to the entire nation. Anybody can jump on. We've had people in Hawaii jump on. We've had people over in uh, India uh, jump on last year just just to hear what we're presenting on. And we're presenting on all of these topics, right? I'm on social media. Shameless plug. I'm there for that very thing because I my thing has always been I don't want you to be able to say I didn't know. I'm here to say that you did know, and now you were able to make an informed decision. They can follow me on Instagram at Friendly Neighborhood CCC. I'm there to answer questions. I get DMs all the time. I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to do that. If we have the resource available, I'll I'll divert them to that resource. But if it's one-on-one assistance, I provide that. We have organizations in our state, Path to College, uh, Florida Virtual Campus. We're in a series right now doing College 101. In fact, once I jump off of this, tonight, I have our College 101 series that I'm moderating. We just did, how do I figure out what I want to do after high school? Tonight, we're doing, how do I make my application stand out over others? Next week, we're doing the financial AP. So there's resources that are out there that I think if families actually looked free resources on college and career preparedness, life readiness on how do I get to college? They'll find it are there. College board has big future. That's free. You can do some inventories. You can search colleges. It's not as good as one-on-one, but there are resources to get you going that might get you to a person that can get you to the right person. So we need both. We need organizations to step up and we need some ownership in it. It's not that they're not owning it, but to Richard's point, If they don't know, then they can't do or build better rights, but they have to have that curiosity because that curiosity and the resources when they meet, that's where the magic happens.
0: I love that the curiosity and the resources. And I think, uh, and and the one thing that I would maybe add, add to that is, um, the curiosity, the resources and some level of a relationship with someone who can help process all of those things. So one of the things that we're really focused on doing is supporting middle school families and we at T3, in a partnership with one of our organizations, Metroplex Educations Open Stores, we've we've built three modules uh, for parents that are going to be, that that we're launching it soon. They'll be open source, but then we're also going to bring families together in learning communities to build a collective network of not just T3 or this, but actually like parents and try to bring in parents who have navigated the system before and can talk a little bit about it. And those three modules for middle school families are high wage, high demand careers. What are they in in Texas? Why do they matter? What does that mean? What are your high school options that can support you in getting to those high wage, high demand careers? Um, And then lastly, like simple information, like transitioning to high school. Like, do you know who the CCMR coach is at the high school that your kid is going to? Do you know the freshman counselor? Do you know what an endorsement is? And and just giving them the time and space to look at those things and then also the relationship to be able to ask and get connected um, is, is another another thing that, that, that we're doing and really excited about and test out and see how it
1: works. Gentlemen, this is so cool. This uh, There's so much awesome information that you guys have been uh, putting out there and sharing and, and talking about to help uh, – Help uh, people with that next path and uh, overcome the, the, the things that are just standing there blocking their, their path and uh, or that they may not even be aware of um, how how they can overcome the different hurdles and so forth. And uh, um, I greatly appreciate this, this conversation today. Uh, before we go, uh, we got a couple of questions I, I want to ask you about uh, Richard and Anthony. Before we close, if someone wanted to learn more, where would you send them?
2: easy go to instagram follow me at friendly neighborhood ccc and i will answer whatever questions you have that's not right, i, the I already did that i, I already did it yep. i seen it
0: i seen it just come
1: through richard done. that's me
0: uh, I, you, i'm not i'm not that social media person so you don't don't you don't need to follow me back let's just say that <laughs> right. i won't take it the way if you to totally, don't follow
2: me back <laughs> But to that point, like, seriously, I, like I will, if there is a resource available, that's what we are doing. That's what we're here for. So I'll get them in the right direction outside of me. It's the richest point. Like, do you know who those people are at your school? Because many schools do have programming. Many schools do have a person Let's figure out who that is. Let's go to the source, right? Your, your child is at the school. Let's, let's ask that question. Do you have somebody here that can help me with that? And if not, is there an organization within our community that can do that? I think those are the, the um, th- that's where I would encourage families to do. Otherwise just follow me and DM me and I will get you what you need to get you. And if I don't know, I'll figure it out and I'll get you to the person that you need to get to. I don't want you to be able to say, I ain't know. We're going to make that be, you did know, here's your resource. And we want to make that magic happen, right? So you have the person, you have the resource, you have the curiosity, and let's let that magic happen. So definitely there. And look, they can go to NCAN. They can go on NCAN has tons of resources too. So, I mean, that's national. So it doesn't have to be state specific. There are national webinars on there that you can attend to as a family that are free to you, that you can go on to. And as I said, following us on social media, Every Wednesday, we cover a topic and it's live. And if you can't make it, we record it. So you can go back and you can rewatch it in the event that you couldn't be on there. So you could be in Texas on a different time frame and maybe you couldn't get on because you were working. But when you get off or you get have the weekend come up, you can go back and you can watch that. So that would be my early access right there. It's tangible. You're hearing my voice like, come at me and I, I'll get you there. Awesome. I love it. I love it. I love it.
1: Do you have anything else to add to that, Richard?
0: Uh, no, I don't.
1: Okay, I really cool. Don't. That's, that's yeah. awesome. I appreciate it. And I'll make sure that I have links in the show notes. So I'm going to put your Instagram stuff in there too, Anthony. All right. So uh, that's good stuff. And uh, you need to take them up on that, man. They'll, they'll get you pointing in the right direction. I like that. So this, this has been an awesome conversation. I got last two questions that I'd like you each to answer. And the first one is, how do you keep going when so much is going on that you may want to quit?
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I have. I mean, I have two. Can, can, you know, take take this for what you will. Um, I think just uh, professionally, um, I started my career, like I mentioned, on the, on the north side of Jacksonville, Florida, taught fifth grade math and science. Uh, I don't. The school was ninety nine percent students from low income background, ninety nine percent African American. Uh, I don't share those identity markers with uh, the students that I was teaching. And as a first year teacher, I was really, really struggling to build a relationship with my students. I played basketball. I loved basketball. I needed an outlet. For some reason, I started uh, I thought it'd be a good idea to like start a basketball team at this like fifth grade school, went to a local wide, they only had opportunities to play, they only had spots left against seventh and eighth graders. We lost every game except the last two. It was really awesome. That being said, uh uh One of the students that was in my class made the team. His name's Julius. And someone told me that, like, you should start every class with, like, what did you do yesterday and what was fun? And for, like, three days, Julius would say, uh, well, yesterday at practice, coach did this or coach did that. And I walked over and I was like, Julius, you know that coach and me are the same person. And he said, oh, no. You're not the same person. You're a completely different person. He's like, in here, you're something you're not. You're scared. You're not nice to us. He's like, but on the basketball court, you're confident. I don't know if he used these exact words. You know, like you're confident. You have fun. You're willing to listen. And you give us correction and support in the ways that we need it. And so anytime that I'm having like a real hard, moment. I, I think about the like the really like the kindness that a 10 year old gave me in a in a through a moment of honesty. Um, and and actually like that was a moment that allowed me to start being myself um, in a in a space that was actually very uncomfortable for me. Um, so I just deeply believe in the power of children and students um and what they're capable of doing. And I just I, I did again to the point Anthony Mineral, I can name lots of moments where that's happened. Um, but, but that's, that's one where someone in a, in a place where I, 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 felt originally that I was supposed to be the person dictating what was going on. I had a 10 year old completely shift my orientation and view and, and was just so appreciative of it.
1: Very cool. Thank you. Uh,
2: Anthony, how about you? Yeah, for me, it's, uh, it's purpose. It's, it's knowing, knowing my giftedness and what my purpose is. Um, and being able to stand in the gap for students who would not otherwise have somebody there to do that. Um, And I've been spoiled, man. Like I, my, my team from my, my four coaches down to my college and career counselors, we have such a a culture. They get it. Um, And we, bounce ideas off of each other. We support one another. It really is like a, like a family. Um, And I I work with an addition that gets it. They put their money where their mouth is. So my thing is I don't need a lot. I don't need, I don't do praise. I don't do recognition. I just need to be able to do the work. So the fact that I know my purpose, I know my gift in this, and I'm in an environment where I can exercise that and it meets the needs of my community and they're able to benefit from that, that at the end of the day, when I, when I'm dead tired and I'm ready to like throw up that tea, you know, that keeps me going. It's like, okay, my, my community gets it. My district gets it. My team gets it. I'm I'm in a space where I can do what I, I think I'm supposed to be doing. And I'm making an impact. That's what matters to me. So let's get at it. Whatever we got to do, let's, let's grind it out. Excellent. Thank you both. This is so cool. I love the advice. Love the thoughts. Uh, last question to
1: both of you. Do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life? If so, who was it? And what would you say if given the chance to say, thank you?
2: I have several because I was a problem child. Um, <laughs> several that saved me along the way. Miss uh, <laughs> Waddell, she was my sixth grade social studies teacher. She actually still teach within this district. She taught my, I have three kids. She taught two of my kids at their middle school. So I get to see her. Oh, I got to see her on a regular basis. Miss Tompkins was my eighth grade uh, English teacher. And Miss Annette Campbell was the dean at my high school who did not expel me and told me that I needed to get my junk together. Otherwise I was out of high school and I never got in trouble after that. I graduated in the top 10% of my class. I made the hall of fame in my high school. Had I not had those three women in my, my K-12 experience, I don't know if I would have made it this far. So they know how I feel about them, except for Miss Campbell. I haven't been able to, to catch up with her, but I, I think, I thank them. It's one of those things kind of like for me, the kid reaching out for me, like, cook has been 10 years. I've been trying to track you down. And had it not been for you, I wouldn't be here. It's the same sentiment to those educators. So here I am doing the same thing back for my community. So thank them. That's awesome. That's awesome. Richard.
0: Yeah. Uh, so my high school physics teacher, Dr. Solo, uh, is a great name for a physics teacher. Um, so uh, my, my, Up until I was about 16, the the reason to go to school was to get good grades. The reason to go to school was to achieve. The reason to go to school was to uh, do things the way that they were supposed to be done. Uh, Very rarely was the reason that you went to school in my family to learn. Um, And Dr. Solo basically developed physics in a way that was fully Integrated, So every single unit had a project that had something to do with a social issue. Um, you had to write an essay and you had to do multiple types of research in math. And then not only that, you had to get up every unit and present it in front of a, a group of your peers. And it was the first time I think I was sitting down and, and understanding that the way that the world works isn't in silos or uh, absolutes. It's it's fluid, and and Doctor Solo made learning and school fluid for me. And from that moment on, I never really questioned why I was learning something else or why I needed to do something else. Because even though I didn't necessarily know how it was going to be fluid or integrated in the future, he had proved to me that it was. Um, and also, like a real, a real life-shifting moment for me because the, my motivation for getting up and going to school shifted and changed after having been a teacher.
1: Excellent, thank you so much. I, th- thank you so much. Uh, this has been incredible talking to both of you, Richard and Anthony. I, it was awesome talking with you today. I, I can't thank you enough for talking about trying to address the inequities with the college admissions process and how to, how to kind of put your money where your mouth is, right? <laughs> and, uh, you know, this, this has been cool because this is, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to sharing this out there and getting a lot of people uh, following you on uh, Instagram, Anthony, and uh, t- checking you guys out. So good stuff. I appreciate it. I wish you the best in all you guys do.
0: Thank you for facilitating the conversation. It was awesome.
1: Same here. Thank you so much. Hey, you have been listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast to help you help kids achieve their dreams. Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 is a member of the Education Podcast Network, podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 is a member of the podcast network based in Canada called Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right. The opinions expressed on Teaching Learning Leading K-12 are those of the guests and host. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Hey, thanks for listening. It would be awesome if you visited my website at stephenmuleto.com and connected with me, left a review, and listened to more episodes. And by the way, you could also share it with your friends, with your family, and uh, your colleagues. Thanks so much. You're awesome.